Hi, I'm Chris Green, the History Chap, telling stories that bring British history to life. This is the story of debonair, quintessentially British film star David Niven and his military service in World War II. David Niven began his film career during Hollywood's Golden Age under producer Samuel Goldwyn and starring alongside some of the greats like Errol Flynn and Ginger Rogers. He was also an Academy Award and Golden Globe recipient. But did you know that he was also the recipient of the US Legion of Honor? Or that he served in the British Commandos during the Second World War? Or that he came under fire in Normandy, was caught up in the Battle of the Bulge and narrowly missed capture in Belgium? But what even fewer people know is that David Niven has a link to the Zulu War. And not just the war, but the British defeat at the Battle of Isandwana. His wartime service and that little-known link to the Zulu War is the subject of this episode. James David Graham Niven was born into an affluent middle-class family with Scottish ancestry in London in 1910. Tragedy, however, would strike the family just a few years later when his father, William, a lieutenant in the Berkshire Yeomanry, was killed in action at Gallipoli during the First World War. After a public school education, Niven entered the Royal Military Academy at Sandhurst in 1930. The adjutant at Sandhurst at this time was Major Boy Browning of the Grenadier Guards, who would later go on to command the British 1st Airborne Division and the 1st Airborne Corps during the Second World War. Meanwhile, his company commander was Major Godwin Austin of the South Wales Borderers. He was one of five Godwin Austins to serve with the regiment, formerly the 24th Foot, and his uncle was killed at the Battle of Isandwana. And if you're thinking, ah, that's the link between David Niven and the Zulu War, well it is. But it isn't the main one, and I'll get to that later. With his cadetship nearing completion, David Dunnan had to decide on which regiment to apply for. With their Scottish ancestry, his mother was pushing him to join the Argyll and Sutherland Highlanders. Niven had to list his three preferred regiments in order. In first place with the Argyll and Sutherlands, followed by the Black Watch. Against number three, he simply wrote, anything but the Highlands Light Infantry. In his autobiography, The Moon's a Balloon, he claimed his disquiet about the Highland Light Infantry was because they wore tartan trues, or trousers, rather than kilts. <laughs> it was a comical response to a serious application, and we've all done something similar, which brings a smile to our face when we do it. And we all know that it has a tendency to rebound on you. And so it did with young Niven, as someone in the corridors of power also had a sense of humour. David Niven was commissioned in the Highland Light Infantry. He joined the 2nd Battalion stationed at Malta, and there he was befriended by the adjutant, Captain Roy Urquhart. Urquhart was another one of those characters from Niven's life who would end up in the British Airborne during World War II. He would command the 1st Airborne Division at Arnhem. You may also recall Urquhart from my episode on the Malayan Emergency, where he was the general officer commanding. Niven found garrison life in Malta tedious. It wasn't helped by the lack of promotion opportunities. Already starting to wonder if army life was all he had thought it was cracked up to be, Niven received the news that his mother had died. He was given four weeks compassionate leave and decided to travel to America. David Niven fell in love with the country. It seemed exciting and buzzing with opportunities, <laughs> certainly a lot more than garrison duty in Malta. On his return, he was finally promoted to lieutenant and the 2nd Battalion was posted back to Dover in England. But it became blatantly obvious that the promotion of the new posting had done nothing to dampen his desire to leave the army. Once more booking a passage to North America, Niven resigned his commission via telegram whilst halfway across the Atlantic. After a series of false career starts, he moved across the states to California 
and arrived in Hollywood. Many call this the golden age of Hollywood and he joined a long queue of men and women all trying to get their big break. His very first acting role was as an extra earning $2.50 a day when he played a Mexican. Through a chance encounter he gained a non-speaking part in the film Mutiny on the Bounty. It was from that film that he came to the notice of legendary film producer Samuel Goldwyn. Over the next couple of years, which when you're trying to break into Hollywood probably felt like a lifetime, he worked his way up to speaking parts before landing a major role alongside Errol Flynn in the 1936 Charge of the Light Brigade. If you think that modern Hollywood plays fast and loose with history nowadays, you really need to watch this black and white movie to see how they varied it back in the 1930s. Nevertheless, it's a good old-fashioned swashbuckling film, as you'd expect from Errol Flynn. His big break came in 1938, when Niven once more starred alongside Flynn and British actor Basil Rathbone in a fighter pilot movie set in the First World War, Dawn Patrol. By now, he was, with Rathbone, a member of the so-called Hollywood Raj, the high-profile group of British actors who were dominating Hollywood at this time, including the likes of Olivia de Havilland, Leslie Howard and Rex Harrison. But the Golden Age was about to come to an end. Whilst on a yacht off the coast of California on Sunday the 3rd of September 1939, David Niven heard that Britain and Germany were once more at war. Niven decided to return to Britain to fight and told Samuel Goldwyn that he'd been called up. The wily producer phoned the British Embassy and ascertained that that wasn't the case and so he refused to release one of his leading British stars. Ever resourceful, Niven then got his brother to send a cable, supposedly from the Highland Light Infantry, with a brief message. Report regimental depot immediately. Stop. Adjutant. Stop. The ploy worked and Goldwyn, grudgingly, let David Niven depart. Whilst travelling via Washington DC, he was invited to meet the British ambassador, Lord Lothian. The ambassador told him that he could represent his country better on the screen, something most of the Hollywood Raj chose to do. Niven, however, wanted to serve his country in uniform and had his heart set on the RAF. Unfortunately, his role as a fighter pilot in at Dawn Patrol did him no favours. The RAF were awash with potential recruits and the last thing that many of the officers wanted was a pretend airman in their midst. He was unceremoniously turned down. It was whilst nursing his pride in the Café de Paris in London that he met an officer from the Rifle Brigade who told him that he could get him into the regiment. He was commissioned in the Rifle Brigade in February 1940. Shortly afterwards, Niven met the First Lord of the Admiralty, Winston Churchill, at a dinner. Churchill walked over to him, looked him in the eye and said, Young man, you did a very fine thing to give up the most promising career to fight for your country. Niven glowed in the compliment until Churchill added, Mark you, had you not done so, it would have been despicable. The man who was shortly to become Britain's wartime Prime Minister stalked off, leaving Niven a little bit more crestfallen than a few minutes before. He would meet Churchill for several more dinners during the war. Niven recalled a meeting in late 1941. On that occasion, the officer asked the Prime Minister whether America would ever enter the war. Churchill responded that something cataclysmic would occur soon. And just weeks later, the Japanese attacked Pearl Harbor. Afterwards, Niven asked Churchill why he'd said that. The reply? Because, young man, I study history. However, the action that Niven sought still eluded him. Whilst the 1st Battalion were fighting the Germans in France and would be lost in the defeat at Calais, the 2nd Battalion were left to conduct transport training on Salisbury Plains. With defeat in France and the evacuation from Dunkirk, Britain faced an imminent invasion. 
and it was now that a cryptic message arrived. Volunteers were required for something special. Niven and his fellow officers thought that the something special would be trying to copy the German parachute troops who had recently achieved so much success. He wasn't keen on jumping out of a plane, but on the other hand, it was more exciting than driving around Salisbury Plain. David Niven volunteered. What he'd actually volunteered for was not the parachute regiment, but the commandos. In June 1940, Lieutenant David Niven arrived in the Scottish Highlands for his training. That training was provided by such luminaries as David Sterling, who went on to found the SAS, future Chindit, Mad Mike Colvert, who also features in my episode about the Malayan emergency, and Lord Lovett, who led the commandos ashore on D-Day. Niven participated in the commandos' second ever operation, codenamed Ambassador, a raid on the German-occupied Channel Island of Guernsey. As the war progressed, he was moved to GHQ Liaison Regiment, otherwise known as Phantom. It had become apparent during the defeat in France earlier in the war that the modern battlefield was fast-moving and fluid. Often commanders would lose touch with forward units, and commanders couldn't easily command if they didn't know what was going on. The Phantom units were highly mobile officer patrols who would travel the frontline areas reporting back. They would be the eyes and ears of the commander, and as such were issued with wireless, motorbikes, and even carrier pigeons. Promoted to the rank of Major, David Niven was given command of A Squadron. Initially, as Britain was waiting to be invaded, Phantom were deployed in a defensive capacity. Niven and A Squadron found themselves based behind the coastal port of Poole in Dorset, defended by five corps. The corps commander that they were the eyes and ears for, General Bernard Montgomery. By early 1944, with the Allied landings in Normandy imminent, Niven was seconded out of Phantom and with the rank of Lieutenant Colonel, started working for US General Ray Barker. Barker's role, and thus Niven's, was to prevent miscommunication between the Allies, something that had blighted British-French operations in the First World War. Principally in this war, it meant building working relationships between the British and the Americans. As Niven recalled afterwards, the 54-year-old Barker and his team had their work cut out, controlling Omar Bradley, Montgomery and Patton, or as Niven called them, those super prima donnas. Coming ashore onto the Normandy beaches a few days after D-Day, Niven immediately got to work liaising between the Allies. On one occasion, he had to run the gauntlet of German artillery fire as he crossed between British and American lines on a very exposed bridge. And then he had to make the journey in reverse. Despite being an actor and a raconteur, Niven, like many of his generation, kept a lot of his battle experiences to himself. He did, however, have some close escapes. On one occasion, he followed the Canadians into the liberated Belgian city of Bruges. Finding a restaurant in the city centre, he and another officer proceeded to sit down and enjoy a meal. As they left, they encountered a Canadian patrol who asked what on earth they were doing. When Niven explained, he was told to get the hell out of the city as the Germans had launched a counter-offensive. Just half an hour later, they'd retaken the city centre. Niven was also caught up in the Battle of the Bulge. As he drove through the chaos of retreating Americans during the initial German advance, he ran into trouble. But not from the Germans. Part of the German initial success was infiltrating behind American lines dressed as US troops, cutting lines of communication. In the ensuing panic and confusion, a man in a British uniform claiming to be a British officer was met with suspicion by trigger-happy GIs. One patrol stopped him and angrily asked him to prove he wasn't German by telling them who had won the 1940 World Series. Niven replied, as only debonair David Niven could, I haven't the faintest idea, 
but I do know I made a picture with Ginger Rogers in 1938. Suddenly recognised, he was allowed through. All smiles. At the end of the war, Niven was demobbed and joined 15,000 US servicemen heading home across the Atlantic on the Queen Mary. But not before General Barker had pinned the US Legion of Merit on his chest. Hollywood was calling once more. David Niven was to enjoy a stellar film career in which he received three Golden Globes and won Best Actor at the 1958 Academy Awards. He died in Switzerland in 1983. His wartime service is probably not quite on par with Richard Todd fighting in the airborne landings at Pegasus Bridge on D-Day, but it was certainly fascinating in so many ways. But having heard both his acting and his military career, you might be wondering where his link with the Zulu War fits in. After all, he didn't star in the film Zulu or Zulu Dawn. Actually, it's a family link. Do you remember that I told you that David Niven's father was killed at Gallipoli? Well, he was married to Henrietta Degashar. Henrietta was born in 1877 in Brecon to Captain William Degashar of the 24th Regiment of Foot, later the South Wales Borderers. Born in 1841, he was educated in France before studying at Rugby and finally Imperial College London. Joining the army in 1859, he was commissioned in the 24th Regiment of Foot. There he joined his brother Henry, who by the time of the Zulu War in 1879 was in command of the 2nd Battalion. Meanwhile, William, serving in the 1st Battalion, had risen to the rank of captain, but was made temporary or brevet major for this campaign. The Anglo-Zulu War was the first time that both battalions of the 24th Regiment had served together. The 2nd Battalion, commanded by older brother, Lieutenant Colonel Henry Degasher, were with Lord Chelmsford when he moved out of the camp at Isandwana on the morning of the 21st of January, 1879. One sole company, G Company, from the 2nd Battalion, remained at Isandwana, commanded by Lieutenant Frederick Godwin Austin. Now, do you recall that surname from earlier? He was the uncle of Major Godwin Austin, Niven's company commander at Sandhurst. Captain, Brevet Major, William Deckershire was in the 1st Battalion, which stayed at the camp. With Chelmsford moving out early that morning, the commander of the 1st Battalion, well actually he was temporary commander, but that's getting into the details, Colonel Pauline, took command of the camp, and William Deckershire assumed temporary command of the 1st Battalion, 24th Foot. So, not only was the Zulu War the first time that the two battalions had served together, but on the morning of the Battle of Isandwana, both battalions were commanded by brothers. Henry, away with Chelmsford, and William, back at the camp. The Battle of Isandwana is a different story, and one that I don't want to stray into now. Suffice to say that later that morning, the camp was attacked in overwhelming numbers by the Zulus, and the British garrison wiped out. The Battle of Isandwana was the greatest defeat the British army ever suffered at the hands of an African enemy. Amongst those to die on the battlefield were Lieutenant Godwin Austin and Captain Brevet Major Frederick Deckershire, David Niven's maternal grandfather. So there you have it, David Niven's very personal link to the Zulu War, a little-known story about one of Britain's great film stars. A man who was not just an Academy Award winner, who worked for legendary producer Samuel Goldwyn and acted alongside some of the greats from Hollywood's golden age, but who served his country in the Second World War. A heck of a career and a heck of a man. Lieutenant Colonel David Niven, recipient of the US Legion of Merit and former British Commando. If you've enjoyed this episode and want to know when I release future ones, please do sign up for my free newsletter. There's a link in the description below. 
Alternatively, you can support my work and keep it ad-free by clicking the subscription button below too. I'm Chris Green, the History Chap. Thanks for joining me today. Keep well, and I'll speak to you again very soon.